from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you can't get bumblebees, you can get some other bees, right? I'm going to tell you about the bees. Let me tell you about the bees. Bumblebee populations are declining in the United States. That's not their mood. That's their number. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Loss of habitat. We need we need those parking lots, babe. Pesticide use. Mm-hmm. Climate change. It's a hoax. Competition from non-native species. Well, there's your immigration right there. And non-native parasites. Uh, but as you know, bumblebees are important plant pollinators. They get they get they get they get their fun. They're important to plant reproduction and the overall health of ecosystems. As the abundance of the large hairy bees get out of here uh, has dropped in recent decades, scientists have held out hope that smaller native bee species can step in as efficient and effective alternate pollinators, according to Eureka Alert. But a new study indicates that the smaller bees, while every bit as busy as bumblebees, are not good substitutes for their bigger cousins. Why? Because they remove more pollen than they transfer. The little jerks thereby providing little benefit to plants. In fact, some small bees can even reduce plant fertilization by stealing pollen rather than spreading it to uh, the flowers, ultimately resulting in a decline in seed production. Where are the bee cops when we need them? I ask you. I ask the, the legal authorities. We were surprised to find that some of the small pollinators were actually detrimental to the plants they visited rather than beneficial, said the study's lead author. His paper suggests that declining plant seed production is unlikely to be compensated for by small bees when bumblebee populations wane. is published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society Biological Sciences. So, no substitute bees, please. Give me the bumblers. And now news from the land of of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. You know that... uh, Saudi women, as of, I believe, a week ago, have been allowed to drive automobiles for the first time since the invention of the automobile. This is a uh, an important development in the lives of uh, Saudi folks. Uh, well, they've arrested, as the Saudi Arabian government, Hatun al-Fasi. Hatun al-Fasi is a Saudi women's rights activist and writer. This is part of its crackdown on activists in the kingdom. This is going simultaneously with their uh, loosening. Is they're, they're loosening while they're tightening while they're loosening. She's a, considered a leading figure in women's rights in the region and the kingdom in particular. Al-Fasi long has been fighting for the rights of Saudi women, including their right to participate in municipal elections. Well, now, now, wait a minute. As a scholar, her work focuses on women's history and politics. She was among the first Saudi women woman to drive for the first time. But last month, the government, uh, as you know, from me telling you about it, announced that a uh, number of activists were being held for having had suspicious contacts with foreign entities, as well as offering financial support to, quote, foreign enemies. Those are the, the entities and the enemies, but not the enemies. Other suspects were being sought, according to the government, State-linked media labeled those arrested as traitors and, quote, agents of embassies. But everybody's got an agent these days. Eight of the uh, 17 detained activists, including five women, were temporarily released. None of them has been officially charged. They're being held incommunicado. 
That's how the Saudis like their women, with no access to their families or lawyers. Uh, United Nations experts urge Saudi Arabia to immediately release a number of women's human rights defenders arrested in the nationwide crackdown. But here's the good news. Uh, The woman in question probably drove herself to jail. Hello, welcome to the show.
From the subtropical climes of London, England. My goodness, it is. Uh, it's beautifully warm and sunny. And um, a couple of days ago, the sky was like Utah blue here. What's going on? Oh, we know what's going on. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. You probably heard about the bidding war for the um, the um, assets of um, a lot of the assets of 21st Century Fox uh, between Comcast, which started out as a, a cable company, you know, like a local cable system. You trust them, don't you? And uh, the Disney company. They're nice. They're family friendly. Um, and and um, they have both been bidding for the rights to uh, own those uh, Fox ass- assets. Apparently, Disney is in the lead at this point, which has given rise to uh, all sorts of headlines in the trade publications about the mouse getting the fox. But uh, it may not be good news that this bidding war is uh, bidding the price up. It may not be good news for Rupert Murdoch. Disney raised its bid for pieces of 21st Century Fox to $71 billion and change, up from $52 billion in response to Comcast's offer of $65 billion. Uh, Disney's original bid was all stock. Its new bid is a mix of stock and cash, because Comcast offered all cash. This raises Rupert's tax bill and cuts into his ultimate payday. Can we just dig a little deeper, ladies and gentlemen, this weekend? I'll, I'll put the hat out later. The uh, higher-priced Disney bid could yield about $2 billion less for Rupert than Disney's original offer. That's uh, assuming that Murdoch takes his part of his payment in cash as the New Deal is structured. So uh, it's a tax thing. For a man who built an empire and runs a conservative news network, says, um, I believe it's Bloomberg, he's uh, unlikely to uh, enjoy watching billions more go to the government. But for Rupert, supposedly, no, this is CNBC, sorry, which is owned by Comcast, so they're neutral. His uh, tax bill can't be a consideration in which deal Fox ultimately takes because he has to get the best price for his shareholders. (laughs) Yeah. Nice corp. Nice people doing nice things. Um, Other nice stuff going on. Facebook and Google, ladies and gentlemen. You love them. You use them. They use you. Uh, They steer us into sharing vast amounts of information about ourselves through cunning design fecklessly cunning design, privacy-invasive defaults, and take-it-or-leave-it choices, according to an analysis of the privacy updates just made uh, public in the wake of the, uh, you know, the European Union had a new privacy law, and uh, all the tech companies had to um, update their privacy policies, and now uh, that's called the General Data Protection Regulation. The uh, Norwegian Consumer Councils just published an analysis of uh, the new privacy settings. And it appears to demonstrate that the companies appear to have little intention of giving users actual choices. 
These companies manipulate us into sharing information about ourselves. This shows a lack of respect for their users. Really, you think? And are circumventing the notion of giving customers control of their personal data. This according to Finn Merstad, Director of Digital Services in the Norwegian Consumer Council. They're now asking data protection authorities in Europe to investigate, and the U.S., to investigate whether the companies are acting in accordance with the new European as well as U.S. rules. Consumers, according to the Consumer Council's analysis, consumers are pushed, pushed, I say, into sharing through standard settings. Research has shown that users rarely change pre-selected settings. In many cases, both Facebook and Google have set the least privacy-friendly choice as the default. Well, that's just a happy accident. That's an adequate cunning design choices. Sharing of personal data and the use of targeted advertising are, are presented as exclusively beneficial through wording and design, often in combination with threats of lost functionality if users decline. Confusing layout. The privacy-friendly choices require significantly more clicks to reach and are often hidden away. The best stuff is always hidden away, ladies and gentlemen. You know that. Illusion of choice. In many cases, the services obscure the fact that users have very few actual choices and that comprehensive data sharing is accepted just by using the service. The uh, feeling of control may also convince users to share more information. You're in control, babe, so tell us all about yourself. Data protection law requires that companies make it easier for users to make clear and informed choices and that they let users take control of their own personal data. Unfortunately, this is not the case which is at odds with the expectations of the consumers and the intention of the new regulations, says Merstad of the Norwegian Consumer Council. So if you want privacy, go to Norway. I guess would be the lesson there. And the lesson here is now it's time for the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Yeah, you might want to strap in. There's a lot of them this week. Two contributors to Telemundo's morning show, that's one of the two Hispanic American television networks, two contributors have been placed on indefinite suspension after they made racist gestures on the morning news show Un Nuevo Dia in connection with South Korea's victory over Germany at the World Cup. Telemundo confirmed that James Tahan and Janice Benskosme have been suspended as a result of the incident. They have apologized for their actions. Viewers posted screen grabs on social media that depicted Tahan making a slant-eyed gesture in reference to the South Korean team. Ben Skosme also apologized for making the same gesture. The hosts were celebrating the fact that South Korea's win allowed Mexico to advance in the competition, you see. We're extremely disappointed with our morning show contributors. Gestures, referring to the South, American, South Korean national soccer team, Telemundo said in a statement, our company takes this type of inappropriate behavior very seriously. It is contrary to our values and standards. Tahan, who also has a following as a chef, acknowledged his mistake. I made a mistake and made an inappropriate and insensitive gesture toward the Asian community. It was a lack of sensitivity on my part. I admit that I did something wrong and wanted to apologize to anyone who was offended by it. The World Cup is a great opportunity to bring together friends, strangers, families, and entire countries, and not to divide our communities. Ben Skosme echoed his sentiment. I want to apologize to the public for my behavior yesterday. My gesture, besides being inappropriate and offensive to the Asian community, I was wrong. And I want to offer my sincere apologies. 
Just opens Telemundo to the charge of slanted coverage. Hey, wait a minute. What happened? Buffalo, New York, Dateline. A Hollywood actress is apologizing for posting photos and videos she took at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo. They have a forest lawn in Buffalo? Everybody's got branches. Catherine Heigl. Hegel? Heigl. Removed the posts from Instagram, which included selfies and her husband pretending to walk with his arm around an invisible person. Heigl said she was trying to make light of a difficult moment while visiting the gravestones of family members last weekend. I'm grateful for your input and kind, kind giving me a heads up when I'm maybe going too far, Heigl said in an apology video posted to Instagram. Thank you for forgiving me, and yeah, next time I'll be more thoughtful about other people's feelings and not just my own. Dayline, South Korea. Korean Air's chairman apologized this week before being questioned by prosecutors investigating alleged wrongdoing by him and his family, deepening the woes at South Korea's largest airline. Cho Yang-ho said he was sorry and bowed his head before entering a Seoul prosecutor's office. He said he would fully cooperate with the investigation. He joins his wife and two daughters, questioned by authorities since April on a variety of charges, including tax evasion, obstruction of business, and violating an immigration law. He's also suspected of embezzlement and breach of trust. And employees of the airline have taken to the streets to demand his resignation. Well, there's a lot of hanky-panky all over the world, but only in Washington is there hinky-zinky. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has apologized and deleted a tweet that may have broken federal ethics laws. Those laws prohibit government officials from engaging in political activity. The tweet in question showed Zinke wearing a pair of socks with President Trump's face on them while attending a meeting of the Western Governors Association in Mount Rushmore. The socks also had the Trump campaign's Make America Great slogan, Make America Great Again slogan on them. Breaking in new socks on a hike with the governors today, the official at Secretary Zinke Twitter account said in a now-deleted tweet, or a now-detweeted leet. Zinke apologized for the tweet, which was deleted on his official account later on Tuesday. Earlier, I tweeted a pic of my new socks, and realizing it had what could be viewed as a political slogan, I've deleted it and apologized for the mistake. I remain excited about all the incredible policy work POTUS is doing, the tweet said. <laughs> so, you can't, he just gets, Zinke just gets zinkier. Dateline Pittsburgh, the mayor of a suburban Pittsburgh community, Arnold, that's not, that, not the mayor, that's the community, has apologized for suggesting on social media that people protesting the police shooting of Antoine Rose should be sprayed with powerful water cannons. After nu- numerous attempts by a Pittsburgh newspaper, the Tribune Review, to m- reach Mayor Karen Picconi, she issued a statement via email. I love this community. I would do anything for the people here. I don't take my position as mayor lightly and deeply regret the comments I made on Facebook. It was never my intention to offend anyone, and for those who I offended, I am sincerely sorry. She said she recently shared a video on her Facebook page of water cannons being used to disperse protesters elsewhere, probably Alabama in the 60s. Later, she wrote, bring the hoses and disparage people protesting. None of them work. That's how they could do this at 7 a.m. Very sad, Piconi wrote. Her Facebook page has since been deleted. The door to her office at City Hall was closed when a reporter stopped there. Staffers said they hadn't seen her. No one answered the door at her home, and she didn't return calls. She got the cloak of invisibility on her. A Dallas real estate company has apologized for a marketing brochure that describes an Austin development's quintessential shopper in racial terms. The advertisement for Domain Northside, this is all in Texas, 
uh, said that a typical customer is a wealthy woman aged 30 to 60 who is most likely to describe her ethnicity as Anglo-Jewish or Asian. That's a quote. The description comes near the bottom of a list of other statements about the shopper's fashion sense and personality, including that she carries a Louis Vuitton, Celine, or Givenchy handbag and is married but also highly successful in her own career. The real estate company that owns the complex, Northwood Retail in Dallas, apologized for the brochure's insensitive and inappropriate language, said it had been removed from circulation. These words do not reflect our values. I'm looking for a place whose words do reflect their values because in so many instances they don't seem to. The, the value-words connection seems to have frayed in America these days. And, quote, we remain dedicated to promoting diversity and inclusion. We will ensure that future efforts reflect the values of the community in which we live and work. But more, but more, I would more for you. A six-year-old child in the United States of the state of Indiana found a loaded handgun in a couch at Ikea and fired it, police say. The weapon had fallen into cushions as a shopper sat down to test the sofa. Was it Newt or Klaum at the store in a suburb of the state capital, capital, Indianapolis? Nobody was hurt in the incident. No arrests have been made. Ikea said it had expressed sincerest apologies to the child's family over the gun in the sofa thing. The gun owner did not notice he had dropped the firearm. He sat down, said the police, and somehow or another it became dislodged from his body, and when he got up, he didn't realize he was without it. The owner continued shopping, only became aware he had lost his gun when he heard gunfire. That would be the clue. Google's Internet-connected speakers are apologizing for being somewhat less smart than normal. The Google Home devices are responding to queries by saying, There was a glitch, or Sorry, something went wrong. Users worldwide are being instructed to try again in a few seconds, only to face a repeat of the problem. A spokeswoman for Google acknowledged the setback and said that some of its TV streaming Chromecast dongles had also been affected. Check your dongle, won't you? The malfunction continued into at least a second day. The search giant has been communicating its efforts to resolve the problem via its Twitter account. The engineers believe they've created a fix, but that there's been a delay in rolling it out cause of the problem is yet to be disclosed. Maybe it never will be. A retired archbishop has told an inquiry he is deeply ashamed after allegations of abuse by nuns at Catholic children's homes were revealed. This is uh, from Scotland. Archbishop Mario Conti expressed his pain and sorrow to those who have suffered mistreatment, and he asked for the forgiveness of survivors if I was insensitive to their pain. That would be an apology, wouldn't it? A, a blessed apology. The 84-year-old clergyman appeared before the Scottish child abuse inquiry. Now there's a Scottish child abuse inquiry. Who do they think they are, Australia? To give evidence, over the last eight weeks, the probe has been examining now-defunct children's homes, which were run by the Catholic congregation, the Sisters of Nazareth in Scotland. The inquiry has been told of a catalog of alleged abuses. They got the abuses in a catalog you can pick by nuns at those institutions decades ago. The archbishop was giving evidence primarily in his knowledge of Nazareth House in Aberdeen and his reaction to the allegations that have emerged. He was said to have uh, made a statement about 20 years ago describing lawyers dangling a pot of gold before alleged victims. He told the probe he would not use that phrase now. He was horrified by some of the claims made, he said. It was painful but beyond my control. Uh, President Trump's formerly 
Former Deputy Campaign Manager David Bossi told a black Democratic strategist appearing on Fox and Friends last week that he's, quote, out of his cotton-picking mind, unquote. Bossy and strategist Joel Payne got into a heated exchange about rhetoric used in the immigration argument and other issues. The men were discussing former CIA director Michael Hayden posting a photo of Auschwitz. That liberal Michael Hayden, that screaming liberal Michael Hayden, Payne said. You're out of your cotton-picking mind, Bossy replied. Cotton-picking mind, Payne interjected. Brother, let me tell you something. I got some relatives who pick cotton, and I'm not going to sit back and let you attack me on TV like that. Attack you how? You're out of your mind, Bossy said. This is why this is the American political discourse in 2018. Ed Henry, the host of what was going on, said after commercial break, Bossy used a phrase that clearly offended Joel Payne and offended many others. He didn't. Ed Henry said he didn't know what Bossy meant by the uh, praise. But we don't agree with that particular phrase. Fox News and this show, myself, Henry said. It was obviously offensive. We like to have honest and spirited debates, debates, but not phrases like that, obviously. Bossy later apologized for the comment in a tweet, saying he should have chosen his words more carefully, that he should never have used the offensive phrase that I did. And a Fox News spokesperson called Bossy's remarks deeply offensive and wildly inappropriate. His remarks do not reflect the sentiments of Fox News, and we do not in any way condone them. What are the sentiments of Fox News? I'd like to know. I'm in, the, I'm in the dark about that. And comedian and, and actress Roseanne Barr struggled at times to get through her first public interview since she was fired by ABC, but did apologize and express regret for it led to her firing. She was fired last month, as you know, in response to tweets she sent out about Valerie Jarrett, an advisor to former President Obama. In the tweet, Barr, oh, you know what she said. In the interview with Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, was a friend of Michael Jackson's, by the way. He gets around. He likes celebrities. Barr apologized for the mistake, but said her comments were misconstrued and that she didn't call Jared a monkey. I'm a lot of things, a loud mouth and all that stuff, but I'm not stupid for God's sake. I never would have wittingly called any black person and say they are a monkey, Barr said, while crying. I just couldn't do that. I didn't do that. And people think that I did that and it just kills me. I'm just so sorry that I was so unclear and stupid. Unquote. She went on to say she didn't excuse her comments and that she regrets making them but also expressed frustration that people have not been quick to forgive her for what she said. She revealed the whole series of events could have been avoided if she'd listened to her bosses at ABC who told her to get off Twitter before the show premiered. And I told them, I promise I will get off Twitter. They said, because you'll shoot yourself in the foot if you're on there. My kids took it away from me and the whole thing because they said, Mom, you've got to stop, unquote. Apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyright feature of this broadcast. By the way, Speaking of which, you know that uh, the uh, former husband of Roseanne Barr, Tom Arnold, made a rare appearance on television this week saying he was looking for tapes. He was hanging out with Michael Cohen, trying to find some tapes that Michael Cohen may have had regarding Donald Trump. Because, you know, Tom Arnold has a TV show on Viceland, uh, supposedly about looking for tapes. Anyway, just imagine hearing again from Don, from Tom Arnold. I guess we can blame Roseanne for that, too. And now... News of America's Longest War. The British Foreign Secretary has visited Afghanistan. Uh, he did so 
probably coincidentally, at a time when uh, the British Parliament was taking a vote on whether to build a third runway at Heathrow Airport. He had said uh, he was dead set against it, but just happened to fly out in time for the vote. Anyway, he uh, visited Afghanistan. He says peace efforts have gained, quote, considerable impetus. Boris Johnson held talks with President Ghani and other NATO and Afghan officials during the brief visit. At this important moment, when Afghan-led efforts toward peace and a political settlement have gained considerable impetus, I was proud and inspired to be in Kabul to see how the U.K. is working in support of the government to achieve this goal, unquote. A day or two later, the president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, announced the end of the government's unilateral ceasefire, which lasted all of three days, ordering forces to restart their operations across the country. Taliban, it had independently observed a ceasefire to celebrate the Muslim holy day of Eid, the first truth, the truce in Afghanistan's brutal 17-year war. Both uh, the Taliban and government officials embraced the reprieve from fighting with joint celebrations in cities throughout the country. Taliban and Afghan government security personnel were seen laughing together and in some cases taking selfies as they embraced. As I say, that lasted for all of three days. The new report, newest report from the Special Inspector General on Afghanistan reconstruction, it's got a lot of good news. Opium cultivation in Afghanistan reached a record high in 2017. The record opium crop could support production of about 900 tons of export quality heroin. The opium poppy production may provide up to 590,000 full-time jobs. That's substantially higher than the entire strength of the Afghan army and, and police forces. Afghan narcotic sector continues to fuel insurgent violence and foster corruption throughout the Afghan government. And the human suffering, criminality, corruption, and financial support to the Afghan insurgency tied to narcotics pose an existential threat to the whole co- costly effort to reconstruct and stabilize the country. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, things are going well. No, the Special Inspector General has more to say about what's going on in Afghanistan. And he sits on a a creakier chair than I do. Our audit identified five major challenges that that continue to limit the Afghan government's ability to combat corruption, he said. Key anti-corruption institutions lack the capacity, resources, or security they need to perform their functions. Yes, sir. Despite efforts by the government to clarify the law, Afghan officials have differing opinions about when the major crimes task force detective role ends and when the attorney general office investigation role begins that's led to recurring conflict between the two organizations that's going to happen in any afghanistan's law enforcement and judiciary often avoid investigating prosecuting and punishing powerful individuals that's nutty unqualified and potentially corrupt actors continue to operate in key afghan anti-corruption institutions why are they letting actors in there Tell them to go back to work. And U.S. international and Afghan officials all express skepticism about the parliament's willingness to support anti-corruption reforms. Uh, finally, the special inspector general released a review of the construction of a 233-kilometer segment of Afghanistan's ring road between the communities of Kesar and Laman. Not Le Mans, Laman. Since 2006, the project has been funded by five separate grants totaling $721 million as of September of last year. 
Contractors had only achieved 15% construction progress from March 2014 through September 2017, the physical, no physical progress was made on the route. This delay almost certainly eroded much of the limited work that had been completed prior to that period. The project was plagued by security challenges, poor contractor performance, and a lack of capacity within the Ministry of Public Works to manage large construction contracts. These issues led to repeated failed efforts and the termination of two contracts for the construction of the road. There was uh, uh, some abducting and killing of... Uh, workers on the road. Another contract was terminated after no paved roads were constructed and design work was incomplete after nearly three years. Contemporaneous project reports stated that security problems throughout the proposed project area contributed to unsuccessful attempts to solicit qualified bidders for the contracts. We remain, says the Inspector General, unconvinced that the security situation, even with a change in contractors' security posture, is somehow no, now more manageable given that the percentage of districts under insurgent control or influence in Afghanistan has doubled in the last three years. Ooh, sounds good from here. How does it sound from there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, now available on HD Radio, for people who can't afford a radio but can't afford a computer. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, where once again the bombs are in bloom. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're Cluck and Schmuck, the Had Enough Brothers. Welcome to the first summertime edition of Cars I Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Friends of Afghan Public Radio. We want some of Seth MacFarlane's money too. Yes, before he realizes television is going away faster than radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, my younger brother, mm -hmm. the world's shortest ceasefire is officially over. Barely long enough for the last ricochet to die away. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, mm. I think with the climate change mm -hmm. and the later onset of winter, yes. the Taliban just needed a mid-season break. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, yes. they had just gotten tired of only taking selfies with each other. <laughs> <laughs> hello, you're on Karzai Talk. Uh, hello, this is Arif, a long-time Taliban, uh, first-time caller. Arif, welcome. Maybe you can... Uh, Shed some light. Hopefully, since our air conditioning is on the fritz, don't shed any heat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you know why the Taliban leadership called a, a violent end to the ceasefire? Well, I know there's no such thing as a non-violent end to a ceasefire, but <laughs> I can only tell you what I've heard from my brothers. Hmm. Now, would those be your real brothers? Uh, no, they're both in Dubai running a thriving fake passport business. Hmm. So then this would be what uh, you've heard from your brother's indespicable insurgency. That's right. They, they told me our leaders had just found out Rosan was fired after being renewed. Uh, wait, the Taliban leaders were fans of Rosan? Uh, I don't know about that. I personally don't have much time for uh, streaming. Uh, too much buffering for a wartime situation? Absolutely. Mm. But I heard that uh, one of our leaders said it just proved that you can't trust the Americans. If they can't keep a deal with Roseanne, what hope do we have? Well, uh, but in fairness, while the Taliban have been vicious killers, 
They have had the good sense to stay off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but unlike the Taliban, she had ICM behind her. <laughs> <laughs> but, caller, certainly you didn't phone in to talk to us about Roseanne. Uh, like us, you probably have a million questions about Tom Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, what can we do for you? Uh, well, I'm calling on a comrade's phone mm -hmm. uh, because during the ceasefire, we went into the uh, Waffle House in Kandahar and I think I left my cell phone in there. So if anybody finds it... Well, they should probably wipe the syrup off it before it clogs up the processor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure it gets back to Taliban HQ, Caller. The rest is up to you. I, I don't even know where the head... Thanks for the call. Ah, that is one intractable enemy. Well, at least he knows what he's fighting for. Mm. Better broadband speed. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Karzai Talk. Hello, I'm Hamdan, a long-time construction foreman, first-time caller. Ooh, are you available right now because my toilet is backing up something fierce? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, somewhat larger projects. Uh, right now I'm responsible for the, the Ring Road project. Hmm. A little bit bigger than Mahmoud's toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so sure. <laughs> well, Hamdan, we hear that the ring road is still far away from completion. And, of course, in the eyes of the world, this makes us look bad. Mm -hmm. If the eyes of the world were still on us. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously. Ooh, now you're going off format. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why has this important transport route not been completed? Well, if you had been president when it started, it would have been completed. I was. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know there are all sorts of problems, but the main one is the route itself. Mm. It goes straight through puppy country, and losing one mile of road through a puppy farm is going to cost somebody about $2 million a year minimum. Well... This may seem like an obvious question. It's certainly an obvious introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but why can't they just reroute the road mm. through a part of the province that isn't puppy country? Uh, primarily because the whole province is puppy country. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hamdan, yes. with this important transport link remaining uncompleted, mm -hmm. how is someone supposed to get from Kesar to Laman? My guess would be by single passenger drone. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> now, dear caller, pardon me for saying so, but there is no such thing as a single passenger drone. Uh, uh, you are correct, Mahmoud. Huh? But uh, we'll have one of those before we have the ring road. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. <laughs> We had help today from the Afghan Marshall Fund. Like the German Marshall Fund, but not as punctual. <laughs> <laughs> Legal services for cars I talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukem. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. Join us next time we rerun this edition of Cars I Talk. This is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. Lost my car in the parking lot Lost my voice but can hear sing From the island of lost things Island of lost things Lost my phone, I lost my way 
Lost the hours of the day. Grandma's ring swirled down the drain to the island of lost things. Island of lost things. I lost my shirt, I lost my aim. Lost the person I could blame. I wish I could recall his name. The island of lost things. Mom was not a hoarder. She threw everything away. Forty-five's my favorite toys. Shoebox full of Polaroids. Plastic on the good couch. Everything was clean. A vacuum bag of treasures in the island of lost. Someone else becoming me, a girlfriend somewhere on the seas to the island of lost things. I'd like to book a trip there, and maybe I could find traipsing through the ruins. show and now ladies and gentlemen news from outside the bubble British intelligence agencies were involved in the torture and kidnap of terrorism suspects after 9-11 this is according to two reports by the British Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee reported by the Guardian Reports published this week amount to one of the most damning indictments of UK intelligence relieving, revealing links to torture and rendition were much more widespread than previously reported. Who would have guessed that? While there was no evidence of officers directly carrying out physical mistreatment of detainees, the reports say the overseas agency MI6 and the domestic service MI5 were involved in hundreds of torture cases and scores of cases of 
extraordinary rendition. Mindy says the agencies were aware at an early point of the mistreatment of detainees by the U.S. and others. There were two cases in which U.S. U.K. personnel were party to mistreatment administered by others. U.K.'s role in uh, torture and kidnap on 232 occasions. U.K. intelligence officers were found to have con continued supplying questions to foreign agencies despite knowing or suspecting that a prisoner was being tortured to get the answers. There were 198 occasions when U.K. intelligence officers received information from a prisoner whom they knew were being mistreated. In 128 cases, foreign intelligence bodies told U.K. intelligence agencies that prisoners were being mistreated. MI5 or MI6 helped to fund at least three extraordinary rendition operations. The agencies planned or agreed to a further 28 such operations. They provided intelligence to assist with the further 22 operations. Two MI6 officers consented to mistreatment meted out by others. In a further 13 cases, UK intelligence officers witnessed an individual being tortured or mistreated. MI5, MI6 and the military conducted up to 3,000 interviews of prisoners held at Guantanamo. No attempt is being made to find out whether guidelines introduced by the coalition government back in 2010 are helping to prevent the UK's intelligence agencies from continuing to do this stuff. The UK breached its commitment to the international prohibition of torture, cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment. Well, why should they be any different from, let's say, the United States? <laughs> On at least two occasions, ministers took inappropriate decisions. Jack Straw, then the uh, Foreign Secretary, authorized payment of a large share of the costs of the rendition of two people in October 2004. He will now face questions over how much he knew and why he did not ask for uh, more information on the accusations of torture and rendition widespread at the time in the press. He, uh, by the way, that former secretary, Mr. Straw, told the uh, House of Commons Foreign Affairs Committee in 2005, unless we, unless we all start to believe in conspiracy theories and that the officials are lying, that I'm lying, that behind this there is some kind of secret state which is in league with some dark forces in the United States, there is simply no truth in the claim claims that the United Kingdom has been involved in rendition, that is to say, sending prisoners to be tortured overseas, unquote. Straw has never explained why he made this statement. Well, I can imagine. It was fun. It's, uh, it's just more... It just makes rendition just that much more extraordinary. By night, he swings. This time the lady wears the pants. By day, he spies. Is your name Mahmoud al-Mazri? Mohammed al-Madi. That's close enough. By night. Thank you. Thank you very much. This one by the great Jimmy Webb. Or by day. But, but I just run an off-track betting shop. Sure. I'm betting. You'll have a nice trip. He's got only one way. Extraordinary rendition. Sean Paul Farrell is Jack Limerick. Cheech Marin is the Arab. Limerick, you cannot leave me here. They, they torture the people here. They swear they don't. Somehow, 
I believe them. Uma Thurman is the handler. Jack, <laughs> I get so hot when you sing. Can I come back tomorrow night? Sure, Tiger. But just one thing. What's that? Don't let me buy your ticket. What? If I do, certain restrictions apply. This January, singing and kidnapping have a new name. Extraordinary Rendition. Everything else is just ordinary. From Birthmark Pictures, only in theaters until it's not. Now, now ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. An active volcano has been unexpectedly discovered beneath a rapidly vanishing glacier in Antarctica. Well, that'll help by a team of scientists studying the melting ice shelf. While rising temperatures in the polar oceans are still by far the biggest contributor to Antarctic melting, volcanoes buried deep beneath the ice are a wild card, likely playing a role as well, according to The Independent. Scientists have warned this hidden source of heat must be taken into consideration when predicting future sea level rise. Sell that beachfront property now. West Antarctica is thought to contain well over a hundred volcanoes, but finding them and understanding their contribution to ice melting has proved difficult. During a survey conducted uh, four years ago, a team of British and American scientists stumbled across one of them. That's, that's a big stumble. While exploring the effect of warming ocean waters on the ice shelf, chemical data from water samples revealed an active source of volcanic heat beneath a Pine Island glacier, the fastest melting in the entire region. Now they know why. Though there have been no eruptions in Antarctica for more than 2,000 years, the heat from this hidden volcano could be contributing to the rapid melting. The West Antarctic ice sheet has existed for tens of thousands of years. It has happily coexisted with volcanic activity happening within and underneath it, says one of the uh, scientists. Because of the episodic nature of volcanic activity, it's something that's very difficult to factor into future, future pr- projections. It is a wild card. Measuring volcanism in Antarctica is problematic, because the traditional means of assessing volcanoes, heat and smoke, are uh, kind of difficult to uh, assess in sources buried deep below ice. The study was published in the journal Nature Communications. It's not, not fun to communicate with nature. And climate discussions typically center on the need to replace fossil fuel power plants with technologies like wind turbines and solar panels. A new paper in Science offers a stark reminder that there are still huge parts of the global energy system where we simply don't have affordable ways of halting greenhouse gas emissions. Among them, air travel, long-distance transportation and shipping, steel and cement manufacturing. Well, the tariffs will take care of that. And remaining parts of the power sector account for 27% of global emissions from the energy and industrial sectors. And the authors in Science say we need much more research, innovation, and strategic coordination to clean up these sources. Quote, if we're really ambitious about meeting our climate targets, we need to be tackling these hard sectors now, according to the paper's lead author. The declining cost and improving performance of lithium-iron batteries and hydrogen fuel cells has made it possible to begin cleaning up big portions of transportation, including cars, light-duty trucks, and short-haul semis. But batteries and fuel cells are still too heavy and expensive for long-distance hauling and shipping. 
as well as the vast majority of air travel. For these, the authors conclude, liquid fuels are likely to remain the preferred energy source, given the amount of energy that can be packed into a given weight and volume. They survey a range of solutions, hydrogen hydrogen or ammonia fuels, advanced biofuels, synthetic fuels, and solar fuels produced using artificial leaves. But none of these can be generated anywhere near as inexpensively as a standard gallon of gasoline or diesel. The researchers suggest this area could demand special priority in research and development efforts. Yeah, you'd think. Such technologies could also provide a form of long-term energy storage for renewable sources like solar and wind. That's a missing piece in all that. Producing two of the world's most common building materials, steel and cement, also generates considerable carbon dioxide. Carbon is used to reduce iron ore in the process of creating steel, while producing cement involves decomposing calcium carbonate using high heat, which generates emissions as well. This pollution can be reduced by adding systems that capture carbon before it's released from the plants. The question is cost. Of course, right now, here in Britain, as I speak, and this sounds almost too goofy to be true, but apparently it is, the um, country is being warned of a shortage of beer, pork, other meats, and crumpets because of a shortage of the fuel which is used to process uh, all of those uh, for stunning the animals and for carbonating beer and for doing something else with crumpets. That substance is carbon dioxide. That's right. Well, we have too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. There's too little in Britain because they make it here as a byproduct of producing Fertilizers, and the fertilizer plants are down for maintenance during the summer. Why can't they just get it out of the sky? I don't know. You tell me, Department. Ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. It is, as always and ever, a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. Leaving you to contemplate the paradox of too much CO2 in one in the whole world and not enough in Great Britain. That will be the end of this week's edition of the show. The program returns whenever you uh, come back next week. Listen to it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like having just enough carbon dioxide if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau. The low sh- the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh, the WWNO New Orleans, and Adrian Baden, here at Global Radio in London, now converted to Windows 10, for help with today's broadcast. Just make sure you install all those patches, baby. And uh, me, 
yeah, unlike Roseanne, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Oh, and the uh, email address for this program, the playlist of the music you hear here, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station for the Change is Easy Radio Network. Till next week, so long from the sunniest place on earth little place we like to call London, England.